0: welcome to episode five of the australian athletic podcast we have myself mickey with adam jazz and reese boys how are we all
1: hey guys pretty good good
0: they've been up loud <laughs> about and as soon as the recording starts <laughs> oh, they can't control themselves what's been the topic of discussion this morning boys
2: Closed mindedness in coaching. No,
0: no, no. Before we get to the actual topic oh, of discuss-
2: the <laughs> I'm sorry to people that are offended, but I'm starting six, that's just how it goes.
0: To those who wonder what we do throughout the day, aside from lifting, this is the critical stuff that makes sure that we have just the best environment possible. So Jazz, have you got your starting so eleven my, together?
3: My AAC starting eleven is Sarah Willisie and goals. I think that's almost undisputed.
0: I think Jamie and Dharma might have something to say about that.
3: (laughs) Dharma's definitely third choice. (laughs) I've got Milo at right back, because of of the fitness. Marcus and me at centre backs. Big, tall, strong boys. (laughs) Sorry, Marcus.
0: (laughs) I think Von Guy might have you for size. (laughs) True,
3: yeah. Victor, but I might replace him with Von Guy. Uh, Victor? Victor at left back, yeah. No! You can can do bits down the way. This this team's in real trouble. (laughs) But then in the midfield, I've got Tom Love, Harriet, and D'Alfonso, I think that's pretty solid. Bit of structure, bit of creativity as well. Maybe swap D'Alfie on the right side of that, number eight. Uh, Seb Good on the right wing, I don't know what position he plays, I know he's fast. <laughs> <laughs> you got the right wing now, boy. Uh, Mazza on the left wing, because I know that's his favorite position, and I love Mazza. And Hamish Anderson, i because he's massive.
0: He's a big boy, isn't he? There's going to be a lot of controversy with uh, please, that list. Please direct
2: all so- following complaints to stop performance coaching on Instagram.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, that's enough for that one. But let's get on to today's actual topic, closed-minded coaching. Adam and us have been posting quite heavily on Instagram regarding closed-minded coaching and essentially tracking yourself into a coaching bubble with people that are just consistently like-minded with you. Not necessarily people that want to get better like-minded or people that just are in the coaching space, but people that literally have the same opinion on every single matter when it comes to exercise or the way that exercise should be approached to every single athlete. Now Adam, can you please touch on what the dangers are of having this kind of mindset?
2: Well I think, you know, if you you come at it from that point of view where it's always the same all you're being exposed to is the opinions that are the same as yours so like let's provide an example say barbells are the the be all and end all of training which is a mindset i did see i didn't work in that environment in america but i did see that in close proximity well then if you get exposed to only that you can dig yourself a career-long rabbit hole where all you ever do is squat bench power clean and don't get me wrong there's value to those lifts but the way you dig yourself a rabbit hole as if that's all you ever see then you're never exposed to the outside and then all of a sudden you get this lightning bolt of a new idea where maybe you're exposed to something like Mike Boyle's ideas where it's almost all unilateral it's very seldom barbell based and it still works you've got now this massive cognitive dissonance of oh shit I've never considered outside of the barbell Mike Boyle was therefore wrong so he's one of the most successful coaches in the country for a reason but you've dog yourself this hole in your echo chamber and your biases of has to be barbell has to be this has to be that and that's just an example it could be any individual attitude or belief and there's thousands of possibilities there but that's one of the ones you do see so we've talked about a few of them here this week say like neve valgus is the root of all evil and ideas like that where if all you're ever exposed to is the same things and then say with neve valgus you come across like joel smith talking about how neve Algus is okay pending on the situation it's just more complex than good bad then now you've got this massive problem mentally where you've got to actually flesh out the ideas because it's far more complex than the Instagram friendly idea of good bad black and white why does it
0: happen like why do you think that people get married to an idea and then just run with that one idea I
2: think there's a couple of different re- well lots of different reasons really because one it's simple so I think at the start of our careers if you will in strength and conditioning like it's really it's a really complex system what we're trying to do is really complex and the the markers especially say in team sports of success are quite unclear at times so it's easy to simplify things and if you've got a big group you go all right valgus is bad we're going to use a barbell. we're going to do unilateral training you kind of create these heuristics to make things simpler and that's okay but then five years down the track when you still sat in those biases of i need to do this and i need to do that well maybe you don't and if you've never considered the fact that maybe there's a reason people go into valgus or maybe you need to train the other of your side of the fence of unilateral bilateral or whatever it is there's value to the other side then you've just completely cast that to the side and never come around to that argument
0: I think for the fitness industry, and especially the s industry, if we can provide simple solutions to people, it's easy to sell.
2: Correct. And I think that's a big part of it. So if you look at like the private sector of particularly fitness and the growing private sector of strength and conditioning, it looks good on social media. It makes it easy to become an expert because if you're, if you just want to be like, this is always bad, or this is always good, like take knees over toes guy, smart guy, great product, seems to work for a lot of people. But it's pretty myopic that your knees need to go over your toes. Well, for some people that ain't going to work, but if you make it super simple, this, 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 and this, and that's all one idea, it's easy to market. And in the private sector, the marketing in terms of making money, marketing is more important than product. Do you think people find
3: success in certain systems and methodologies, methodologies they use and things? that's it stick with that that's all i'm going to run with that's all i that sure. going to run with so that's
2: a massive part of it because you look at like how militarized the conversation around diet has become yeah someone loses you 20... say militarized i say religious bro it's bad isn't it like people lose 20 kilos with paleo keto this that the lemon detox diet doesn't matter yeah but then they're like this is the only way to lose weight and then before you know what they're arguing with other idiots on facebook about my diet's better than yours and so like, stop and consider your life when you're arguing about your diet is better than someone else's on Facebook. Like you've, do, go directly to jail, do not collect 200. Like, did you, yeah.
3: no. Did you ever find your training principles were a little bit close minded from coming from like a powerlifting background that I know oh, you did? Yeah. yeah. My, mine work massively.
2: Definitely, I massively. And I've said this to athletes that I trained. So like my first program that I was responsible for was the Adelaide United youth team. And my program that I wrote in 2014 for those boys versus what I write now is no years apart. And I've spoke, I'm have spoke; i still in contact with some of those athletes, like say Cliffy Maynard I talk to all the time. And I've said to him, like, I'm sorry for the stupid program I wrote you five years ago when we were talking about it the first time. And he was like, you yeah, know, we're all learning kind of thing. And now he's coaching as well. Did you so. write
3: squat, bench, and deadlift and realize no
2: soccer players want to squat, bench, and deadlift? I was writing three sets of five in the back squat and then the bench press and then they do a single set of five in the deadlift. I wrote starting strength for an elite <laughs> soccer team and I was like, this shit's going to work. And they squatted more. Yeah. And they did, they did actually get injured less because a lot of them were so weak at the start. And the numbers looked good, but like, I didn't improve their performance anywhere near as much as I could have. It was a novel, novel stimulus. Straight up, yeah. It was just different. But then I rode that stimulus way too long because like I had Cliffy squatted 183. Massive With me at United We probably could have stopped him squatting 140 for three And still got all of the same benefits And then moved on To something else useful as well Yeah But Over my It took longer than it should have But I've adapted my perspective And looked at different things Rather than What you do see in some places Where people have been married To say powerlifting And they've got to keep back squatting Got a bench press My soccer players now Don't bench press ever Like we do other Upper body movements That are far more useful Than the bench press for them But you've got to move outside of that perspective.
3: I feel like if you go down a rabbit hole in a community of like bodybuilding, powerlifting, anything, like all of those like like subgenres of fitness go down into rabbit holes and stick with their principles. I feel like if you go down one of those, you end up doing the same thing. You get a little bit closed-minded. I did the same thing. Like I used to think squat bench deadlift, they have to be the base of every program. I don't think I've ever, I think I've programmed back squat once and I don't ever program deadlifts off the ground, our program bench press when people want upper body. And I used to think anything other than those three were pretty bad exercises, but now I don't think there's a such a thing as a bad exercise.
0: We get married to the power just because a lot of us have grown up with that, but we go back to the selling factor and it is so easy to sell. If you improve your squat, you're going to get better at soccer. Yes. And for someone that hasn't squatted ever in their life, they will see improvements. Correct. Does that make them a better soccer
2: player? Well, I mean, Keir said it, everything works for a period of time. Yeah. And then nothing works for a period of time as well. So like you said, you know that you squat more, you'll get better kind of thing. And like Jazz said about that, I think strength and conditioning's original bias was being born out of powerlifting and Olympic lifting. And that's where you see the absolute intense marriage to the three power lifts and particularly the clean, especially in America. And the, say like the one where you actually see it the most intense is squatting to depth. Like people lose their mind over squatting high as a bad thing. When no one has ever managed to articulate clearly to me why I'm 90 to, or why breaking parallel as a powerlifting definition actually matters to athletes at all. It's just a uniform measure from powerlifting, and people went, that'll do. Where for me, it's like, if you want them squat deep, then have them squat to the full bottom of their range that they can do safely. Or have them do a half squat, which will carry over much better to a jump.
3: I find most people just get feel so beat up after full range squat. I'm, I, I like squatting full range, but it beats up my hips so much. So the best thing I ever did was stop back squatting.
2: Yeah, me too. Like in terms of my own individual athletic performance, I haven't back squatted in Oh, more than a year and it's the best my back has ever felt in particular because i yeah. got short legs and a long torso so. there's so many
0: nicer variations of squats deadlifts and bench that you can play around with in the gym yeah, there's 100%. not just one exercise that you must complete there's so many different variants that will beat you up less but will be just as effective
3: i reckon you can pick you can pick three three big movements get ridiculously stronger Then they don't have to be they don't have to be the squat bench and deadlift I'd rather do an RDL, and I did that, and that worked so much better than deadlifting on the floor. felt so much better, got so much stronger.
2: Hundred percent. I think, say, That's why training yourself is so powerful. Because for me, I went, hang on. Every time I back squat, I feel like shit, and every time I don't back squat, I feel good. And I, I found that through the lens particularly of sprinting, and timing my sprints and going, hang on. If I back squat on a Monday and sprint on a Tuesday, those times are two tenths of a second slower than if I don't back squat on the Monday.
3: Yeah, I did the same with with my deadlifts. Yeah, my deadlift I got
2: slower straight away and if you look at the literature everything's and there's like there's one researcher in particular who's bad for this squat more you'll run faster and it's like are you you fucking serious like that we're going to reduce speed as it's concept to squat more you'll run faster like that is demonstrably untrue because the slowest I ever ran was when I squatted the most and the fastest I ever ran was when I was back squatting the least
1: how much do you reckon this can be a placebo effect for the athletes if you're good at selling and you have an athlete walk in and you convince them if i make you back squat more you'll play better they have in their head if i'm back squatting more i'm going to play better and you get confidence boost and then you just get you're playing better because of confidence not that's just part of it and I, and I think that's why the wa- yeah
2: the waters are so murky because yeah. confidence plays into it and you know say you got a soft player like we've been talking about how do you measure objective performance because you take people say gps okay cool but teams i've worked for they always run more when they lose because they're chasing shadows So it's so hard to quantify all those different factors and then that's when it's, you know, we can't tell the team placebo, confidence, actual improvement, or just random statistical chance. It's a field where there's so many factors going on that you can't
1: say, you can't clearly define cause and effect. That's it.
0: Not only is there so many factors going on, the piece of advice that we give any student that usually comes in here through their placement, is the fact that it's constantly changing. And even if you are a student, even if you are a coach, a seasoned coach that's been in
2: this industry for 10, 20 plus years, it's constantly updating itself. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's why with those posts, I was really conscious to try and say, this isn't about anybody. I'm not writing this because I want to attack this dude over there or whatever. These biases affect all of us, me, you, everyone in this room, all the coaches that listen to this. Like, It affects all of us because we're talking about how murky it all is. And then you need to try and find ways to simplify it and bring it back to is this working, is this not working? Because if you don't know, then what's the point in any of this? So those biases come in through the, the simplifications that are necessary. So that's where you end up with confirmation bias and anchoring bias and all this and that. And that, that's just how it goes. It's all about just trying to fix that and find what we can objectively do. You know? So you know, for me, I've found with the team sport guys, if they run faster, that's never a bad thing obviously if they're injured less that's what we're looking for for me at least first and then if they're running faster jumping higher whatever the kpi is for their sport then we'll base it off of that kind of thing here's the final question if you see something that you disagree with or that you question
0: in the gym on social media wherever it may be what's the best way to approach
2: it to get the best outcome for both parties? The first response needs to be not do anything but think about that idea. So like I said, my first example of, let's say you got your traditional old school American football strength and conditioning coach, barbells are everything, the program's built around power clean, then back squat, then bench press, all the time, all year round. Then they see Mike, Mike Boyle's strategy of Bulgarian split squats, dumbbells, weight vests as a way of loading. The initial response in human nature is going to be that's wrong because it's different we all react that way that's just how it goes but stop and think about it and be like is there value to that and then if you look at how those athletes of Mike Boyle's perform then it's obvious that there's validity to it but you do everybody particularly yourself and especially your athletes a disservice when you go that's different that's wrong I'm going to stick with my barbells because Mike Boyle's an idiot Mike Boyle is clearly not an idiot and if you actually consider it maybe you can take something from that idea where you get this fairly well it's been around for a while now but fairly recent trend in strength conditioning where it's way more cool to just send a post to mike boyle telling him what a dickhead he is even though that's obviously not true and how smart you are because you do things differently well that's that's not helping anybody like that's what i was trying to write about like for people to actually think about it like yeah you know what maybe that's a dumb idea because if we all think about it and if you want to talk to mike boyle or whoever it is or me if you think i'm doing something like let's approach it from a hey dude i'm interested in this why are we doing this and i've done that to coaches and some of the best conversations i've ever had have come off the back of hey dude can you explain to me why you're doing that because this industry is so competitive it's so difficult to get into anybody who's in it in australia at least in my experience is usually pretty good at their job there's a reason they're doing it that way and if you actually talk to them they'll ration it out with you and then you'll be like oh i get that rather than trying to start a conversation off the back of you're an idiot that's wrong i'm way smarter than you which is unfortunately really really common if you
0: ever need a lesson in communication coach brett bartholomew on instagram will give you a lesson on that you don't need to call out the other person and just blatantly tell them they're wrong because they have a different opinion to find out why they're saying that maybe they're going to learn something off of you or maybe you will learn something off them that you didn't realize correct
3: there's a good chance that if you message a coach if you so if someone messaged me and said why are you doing this i'd just tell them give them my rationale but there's a there's a good chance i could be wrong there's plenty of chance anyone could be wrong no matter yeah. what coach you are, your system your what you're using could be wrong obviously still productive but could be a better there's always a better way yeah that's what coaching should be you're always trying to find a better way that's why there's discussion
1: and as coaches we've all come out we've all got science degrees we've all done degrees on critical, critical thinkings apart. So the whole point of science is to disprove things that are wrong and try and, you know, find out what's going to work the best. So I don't understand how we can come out of these degrees where we are literally taught to critical think and question things and then start saying, no, you're wrong because you're not doing what I do.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. Like the, the amount I've seen recently and like thankfully Australia is not the worst. Like there's America for what I can see. when I was there, I was at a small school. So our amount of sort of visibility was very low compared to other places. But some of the criticism that flies around the industry is just ridiculous. You know what I mean? Like, and like I, I gave an example in a post a long, long time ago with of criticizing someone's program without understanding what their greater situation is without understanding the context. Like, the, the s and coach that was at Chelsea When Sari said none of our guys will lift weights like, So you look at his program and you go It's all field based, this guy's an idiot He doesn't want to lift But you don't understand that he's going to lose his job If he programs any weights Because he's got Maurizio Sarri over him saying You can't lift because I told you to You have to understand the context of the environment Like Barry Solon said to me and like Barry's probably a better coach than anyone I've met And if he's saying You can't criticise a program until you've seen the context Maybe there's something to that
3: it's just like anyone saying to us like valgus is detrimental like yeah we, we should understand the argument that valgus has been associated with acl risk and injury yeah but also that we understand that it's useful and you can play into it and there's other things that help make valgus not
2: so well that's it and i mean not not like so dangerous about science like one of the one of the Limiting factors of it is that the scientific method is predicated on removing everything back to one variable affecting another variable that's why we have Science we examine it like that. Well, the trouble is we know that acl risk can be reduced no further than like five or six major factors And knee valgus is one of them. So <laughs> Right there you already have proof that you can't reduce acl injury to a single variable because we could only ever reduce it through all the research we've done in the last 40 years down to five
3: at best. So if need, if it can be associated with ACL injury and risk, but then there's so many other cases of going into valgus and there's
2: well, that's like exactly right. so much
3: power coming out of it. And look at how basketball shoot. Look at how some people jump. I jump and my knees almost touch. Yeah. I'm not going to an ACL. If
0: anyone watched the Olympic weightlifts over the last two weeks, they'll see there's a lot of guys that had to get into well, and I mean, girls that needed to get to knee valgus. The, the, just very, to be able to the first argument
2: sport. I ever had around valgus in a double leg movement was someone i used to work with in melbourne was like oh that lifts it was an olympic lifter who set an american record at the american nationals and he was like that lifts bad she had valves and i was like <laughs> are you serious she cleaned and like 140 or something
3: bro you're putting 140 kilos over your head i don't give a fuck if you're yeah there. like
2: that maybe there's a reason the body does that and if we like people look at reasons things happen if across time across cultures across Body types. If everyone goes to valgus when something is really hard, double leg. Maybe the body's recruiting that pattern for a reason.
3: Like well, if your argument is that, that valgus is the worst ever, have you what have you watched sport ever? Have you watched what <laughs> knees do in sport? Have you watched what ankles do in sport? Yeah. Have you watched anyone do? Does everyone play sport and just do everything perfectly? Knee, like hip, ankle, knee, lined up perfectly, or do they? straight up and
2: like watch the the long camera down the track on a hundred meter sprint that's what Keir put up a great post taking the piss of adam goda and he's like oh sorry his knee's about to blow up because i can't remember where he was from but the sprinter had like the biggest juiciest crossover with a outturned foot he ran just fine for the 100 i think he ran it in you know 10.0 something but like you said, you this whole Valgus is the root of all evil. Like, have you watched anybody move at an elite level ever? If you, if you really want to take away all the
3: risk of training, stop playing sport.
0: Yeah. And then stop moving at the same time. Because
3: <laughs> training is one thing. Sport is a whole other shit show. If you want to take out all risks, stop playing sport.
2: Yeah, was it Ben Bruno that was like, um, lifting weights is dangerous? Try being fat and slow <laughs> yeah. or something like that. But try, playing, try playing NFL and have 250-pound dudes running at you. Yeah, but... I think the thing with Valgus that I don't understand the most is people like Single leg Valgus landing is correlated with ACLs. Okay, that's true In an uncontrolled environment when the other four factors of ACL have gone to shit as well But then double leg Valgus is obviously bad and it's like That doesn't even make sense Like the whole Valgus thing is based on all these jumps of logic from Single leg landing with Valgus is bad So then double leg landing with Valgus is bad So double leg lifting with valgus is bad and the assumption that all of those things carry over to the next when none of those things carry over to the next one or any of the other things they're just unrelated items
0: yeah but it sells
2: off a simple solution well that's exactly right and that's where you come back to like the the consistent well I'm trying to think what the right word is like it keeps getting affirmed on social media because it's easy to sell that as I fixed you because you were going valgus and now you're not yeah and a lot of athletes who move perfectly do ACLs and a lot of athletes who move like shit do don't do ACLs so to try and reduce it to that doesn't help anybody because you can create these fancy systems but you're only going to look bad when the system doesn't stand up when it doesn't work when do you go to offer that yeah exactly when yeah. the reality is it's just way more complex than that it's important to like understand the associated factors
3: with like ACL risks um, one study I read was um, a four foot strike when cutting and changing direction will help mitigate the risk so you don't have that luxury when you're playing you know what
2: increases the risk of falling over (laughs) (laughs) that's the one i see all the time and it's like the constant recommendation and I i don't know who's writing this shit but then they're like the the width of the cut step away from the center of mass is related to acl risk so when they get to their practical recommendations at the bottom they say you need a narrower cut step and i'm like Your example from the NFL or the inside midfield of an AFL game. You don't get that luxury. That guy's coming downhill, 265 pounds, runs a 4-4-40, and he's going to hit you if you don't cut properly. Even if you wanted to actually practically take a narrower step to cut, the actual reality of real-world sport is that you don't have the time to make that decision. You're going to cut the way you always did. You might as well be strong in that position because you're either gonna get head taken off or you're gonna cut.
3: So I think that's an underrated um, risk factor with ACL risk, decision-making. I think most, most of it, if you're gonna be in a shit position, it's probably because you made a bad decision. Well, not, not all the time, that's, that's pretty But hard. it is a factor. That, and that's and hard. It's a, I think that's a massive, massive factor
2: But that's ACL so risk. hard to quantify that no yeah, one touch hey, it. Hey, people people are just that. scared of that factor. And that's why it's
3: so multifactorial. That, like you're never gonna mitigate the risk of it. It's,
2: well, that GPS example I gave before, like it's one of them things you get lots of coaches. I work for a team, a long time ago in soccer loved all the people involved but they were really really bad we got relegated that year and we deserved to get relegated and the coach would say the team's unfit and then i'd go watch them play and the center backs would kick it to the edge of the opposition box we'd all run up to halfway give the ball away they'd kick it back our, over, over our heads and we'd spend the whole 90 minutes running 50 yard shuttles and the coach would say you're unfit and i'd just say no the team's just shit man like the team's making bad decisions of course they look unfit. They're trying to make 50-yard shuttles for 90 minutes. Yeah. You can have the fittest, fastest, strongest team out there, but if you're shit, you're shit. You know who looks really unfit at jiu-jitsu is me because I'm shit at jiu-jitsu. <laughs> when Victor does it, he looks real fit because it's easy. Yeah. Like, quality is part of it. How to be a better athlete, be better at your sport. Correct. And, like, people... we got to examine that link a bit better than we currently are and all the factors rather than constantly just boiling it down to... I believe it's valgus. I believe it's trunk control. I believe it's foot pronation. Like it doesn't actually matter which variables in question. I think coming off this conversation as well is
1: coaches like to overshoot the importance of what they do yeah. in the weight room. You got to protect what you're doing. You know what I mean? That's like, it. You know, because if you realize what you get your athlete doing in the weight room isn't going to affect their performance that much, you know, you know, you can make them stronger. You can make them faster. You can get them less prone to injury. But aside from that, you're not going to make them a better at what they do, you can't make a donkey win the Melbourne Cup. That's exactly right. If this guy sucks at his sport, he's gonna suck
2: at his sport. Well, Jazz and I were talking about that before. With like Deontay Wilder, uh, deonte Wilder's videos of him playing basketball. Like you can't come out if you're his S and coach and be like, I made Deontay Wilder. <laughs> My guy was born like that. That's exactly right. So, have you guys
3: seen the video of Deontay Wilder playing basketball? I've not. Insane. I'll show you after. <laughs> <laughs> N- nuts. But <laughs> that's an athlete.
2: You know, it's it's trendy to for the co-tail of the athlete as well. And like you said, pump up your impact kind of thing where I don't think it's coincidence that the very, very best coaches I've ever met are also the, the most pragmatic about the impact we have as s coaches, that we are a part of the backroom and we're only a part of the puzzle. And the overwhelming majority of the time, the thing that wins the sport for the athlete is being better at that sport than the other team. That's exactly right. right.
0: No, I think we definitely touched on that. And before we get too excited we'll probably leave it at that for today. But boys, thank you very much for your contr- contribution today. If you guys listening at home, or wherever you might be at the moment, enjoyed what you heard, please give us a five star rating. And if you can give us if you can give us a share on the socials on Instagram tag us in the story. And we'll make sure that we do the same back we do this for our benefit. And we also do this for your benefit too. So if it helped you out today, please give us some love. Guys, do you want to say goodbye to the people?
1: Thanks, guys. Ciao. Thanks, team. Thanks, guys. Please like and subscribe.
0: (laughs) We'll see (laughs) you in the next episode,
3: guys.